Welcome to the Wild Wisdom Podcast with Dr. Patricia Mills. I'm Dr. Patricia. This podcast is for people who want to transform their health, restore their hormones, and reconnect to their body's natural wisdom. Hi, I'm Dr. Patricia. I'm a Canadian medical doctor, published author, internationally recognized researcher, and passionate advocate for your health. Here, we'll explore the intersection between ancient wisdom and cutting-edge science, distilling the essence of true health into practical steps you can take. Wild wisdom is instinctive knowledge in action. Thanks for making this part of your day. Are you suffering from bloating, constipation, diarrhea, or have you been diagnosed with irritable bowel syndrome? Then you might have SIBO, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. And today we're going to talk about how you can treat this at home to reverse your symptoms. Hi, welcome to the Wild Wisdom Show. I'm Dr. Patricia Mills. I'm a holistic medical doctor with a root cause approach to health. And today we're going to be talking about SIBO, also known as small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, and how it could be the root cause of your digestive distress. And the good news is that there are things that you can start doing right away to resolve this. And so we need to understand that SIBO, or small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, is a very um, it's a very potential missed cause of gut health issues like bloating diarrhea, constipation, about 20% of people with irritable bowel syndrome have it. And the research is showing that, um, you know, doctors are not aware of this condition. This is living mostly in the research space where gastroenterologists or gut specialists who are really into the gut microbiome research are talking about how SIBO is being missed in about 20% of people who are having problems like bloating, diarrhea, constipation, or IBS. And today I'm going to be uh, relying heavily on a research paper that was published by a gastroenterologist specialist in the gut microbiome, and they called it Small Intestinal Bacterial Overgrowth, a Comprehensive Review. This was published in 2007, so it's not like it's super new information, but it's relatively new. It's within the last 20 years. This is 2023, and it's not uncommon for things to take about 20 years to go from uh, research to clinical practice, and sometimes it may never even be taught in um, medical school or residency training to become a medical specialist, depending on what the curriculum is for where that doctor is being trained. So you're uh, tuning in today to find out some cutting edge information that can really revolutionize your symptoms and what you're experiencing. <clears throat> so I'm going to be diving in today in, in what is SIBO, what causes it, what are the root causes, and what you can do to start reversing it at home yourself naturally, and when you should connect with a specialist, and what kind of specialist you will need to connect with if you want additional help. So if you're joining me today, please put in your questions in the comments. I'd love to answer them for you, and I see I have some viewers, and welcome. I hope you enjoy this show. So what is small intestinal bacterial overgrowth or SIBO? So first we need to understand what is the small intestine? So um, as a general review, we eat our food, we put it in our mouth, it goes down the esophagus, then down into the stomach where there's the stomach acid, where digestion starts in the mouth with chewing, continues in the stomach with the stomach acid, 
helping to break things down like protein. And then it goes into the small intestine. And the small intestine is where the is especially designed by Mother Nature to help further break down our food uh, and absorb it. So all of our protein, carbohydrate and fats, the final breakdown happens in the small intestine with enzymes that break down the, the sugars and the protein into the amino acids and break down the fat into tiny little globules that then can be absorbed. And it's um, basically, it's, it's very uh, specifically designed for that. And in order for that to happen, the gut microbiome population in the gut has to be kept very low in the small intestine. So if the comment gut microbiome or term gut microbiome is relatively new for you, I encourage you to go uh, into my YouTube channel, Dr. Patricia Mills MD, go to the playlist gut health and watch the video, um, the gut microbiome and its amazing impacts on whole body health. And basically it's a community of organisms that live in our gut and their job is, they have many jobs, and one of them, for example, is to break down the fiber from our food <clears throat> into healthy ketones that our body can then absorb. So your body can't break down fiber, but the gut microbiome does it for you. So all the health benefits of fiber comes from the gut microbiome. But in the small intestine, where the food is being broken down and absorbed, we don't want a big population of gut microbiome. And the body has two ways of keeping the population of bacteria and funguses and parasites and you know viruses down in the small intestine and one way is the stomach acid that is made with each meal when that food goes from the stomach into the small intestine it's acidic it's it still has some of that stomach acid with it and that acidity the low ph keeps the bacteria and funguses and so on from growing uh, in huge numbers in the small intestine. And so that's the number one way that our body keeps that uh, area relatively clear of the gut microbiome. There are some organisms growing there, but not a lot. Um, and then the other mechanism is the contractions of the gut. So the small intestine is contracting and it's basically contracting to send that food um, through and move it through the small intestine so that it eventually moves into the next part of the gut, which is the large intestine. And as that food is moving through, the pancreas releases its digestive juices, which includes digestive enzymes, and that digestive juice is alkaline. And that alkaline juice neutralizes the acidic uh, pH stomach contents so that by the time it moves into the large intestine, now that um, the contents of your gut are no longer acidic, and so then in the large intestine is where the gut microbiome really flourishes. And so that's where the fiber in your food is broken down and absorbed as ketones, fatty acids, where the water is primarily absorbed, where a lot of mineral absorption happens. And so it is natural and normal to have a very small population of gut microbiome in your small intestine and a larger, more flourishing population of the gut microbiome in your large intestine. So small intestinal bacterial overgrowth or SIBO is when one of two things happens. Either the gut microbiome that lives in the small intestine is now overgrowing, so they've gone from a small population to a larger population, or and or the population of the gut microbiome in the large intestine is now migrating up into the small intestine where it should not be and starting to grow there.
And so the consequences of that happening is that now you have all of these organisms that are hanging out in the small intestine. And what do they like to do? They like to eat. And what they're going to do is they're going to eat the nutrients from your food before those nutrients have a chance to be fully broken down and absorbed into your body. So they don't eat all of the nutrients, but they eat some of them. And what happens when the gut microbiome eats the nutrients while it's in the small intestine is that they, they create the fatty acids, the ketones, but in the wrong place, and they create gas. They, they start to, um, that's one of the breakdown products when they, when they eat these foods and they should be eating fiber, but they shouldn't be eating the sugars like uh, the breakdown products of lactose and maltose and sucrose. So now they're eating these simple sugars. So they're creating a lot of gas. And so the symptoms of bloating, you know, so you eat food, the food has gone through, it's being broken down in the stomach. Now it's in the small intestine and it's being broken down. If at that point, there's a uh, gut microbiome uh, uh, community that's eating those sugars, for example, you're going to get a lot of gas and the bloating in the belly is from the gas. So it's like a gas bloating, which is why that bloating comes and goes. Now, if you have bloating in the belly that is pretty constant, it doesn't come and go. That is probably not SIBO. Okay. That is either inflammation at the level of the gut from gut damage, like things from environmental toxins or food additives from ultra processed foods, that kind of thing. Or it could be something more serious like ovarian cancer. That's uh, one of those things. So you really want to get checked out by your doctor if you have constant bloating. That would not be good. So you really want to get that checked out. But what happens is that if it's SIBO, if it's that bacterial or fungal, so it can be candida growing in the small intestine, for example, so in which case that's technically SIFO, small intestinal fungal overgrowth, um, but any one of those, and it can be a combination of organisms, bacterial, fungal, um, now they're eating and eating and eating, they're proliferating, and over time that can actually start to cause damage to the gut lining. So now the gut lining becomes inflamed, okay, and inflammation can then cause its own, um, you know, bloating. So that's when you start to get the bloating that's a bit more constant, and you start to do things like deposit belly fat. So you start to get like fat being deposited around the belly. So that's one of those other longer term consequences of it. You can start to get signs of malnutrition because now not all of the nutrients in your food are being absorbed by your by your body. A lot of it's being eaten by the by the bacteria or the fungi. And so you can get like brittle nails, splitting nails, soft nails, hair loss, for example. You can get loss of muscle mass. Um, you can get osteoporosis, right? Um, um, thinning of the bones. And while a little bit of SIBO is normal as we age, it's not normal to get a lot of it. And, and we're going to go through the, ro the root causes of um, why that is and what you can do to reverse it. Okay. Um, and I have a question here by Alona Saro, who's asking me, uh, thanks for your amazing videos. I'd be interested to learn your opinion on Dr. David's Ruteri yogurt. Okay, great question. And I'm going to save that for when I go into the treatment um, and what that looks like in terms of what, what could a yogurt with Ruteri, which is a, uh, if, I'm not, if I'm not mistaken, is a type of um, probiotic, how could that help with something like SIBO? Okay, so we're definitely getting get into that. Perfect. So then let's talk about why does SIBO happen? Because before we talk about treatment, like things like probiotics, for example, 
nothing will work if you don't get at the root cause of why it happened in the first place. Okay, I'm not really going to hammer that down because if you treat the SIBO, the small intestinal bacterial overgrowth with like probiotics or antibiotics, but you don't address the root cause, it'll come back. So you'll temporarily feel better, but then you're, you're continuing to do the things that like the lifestyle and the nutrition and the things that caused it and it'll come back, right? So this is, we need to really get to the root cause. So SIBO can happen due to two main reasons. Number one, you have changes in the healthy stomach acid production, right? And number two, there's altered contractions of the small bowel, and they can happen together, okay? You can have both reasons happening at the same time. So what are the root causes for the low stomach acid production or the changes and contractions of the small bowel? The big one, so a really big one is mental or physical stress while you're eating, which decreases stomach acid production for that meal. And I really want you to pay attention to this because in order for your body to make enough healthy stomach acid to break down your food, it needs to be in the state of digestion. The nervous system needs to be in the state that causes all of the bodily systems to work on digestion. So what, what does the body do when it's digesting? It releases stomach acid. It releases the pancreatic juices for digestive enzymes, right? It causes us to salivate and get ready for the work of digestion in the mouth. And the part of the nervous system that is responsible for that is called the parasympathetic nervous system. It's called the rest and digest system. But it can only be turned on, so to speak, when the opposite system, which is the fight or flight system, the sympathetic nervous system is turned off. So you need to have the rest and digest system on and the fight or flight system off. And the thing is, we are all, unfortunately, often doing things that cause us to have the rest and digest system actually turned down and the fight or flight system turned up while we're eating. So, for example, what are we doing? We are eating without paying attention to our food. Our mind is distracted on our to-do list, for example. Or maybe we're eating while we're watching the news or we're eating while we're walking or we're eating while we're driving, right? Those are all conditions in which the body needs to have its sympathetic nervous system turned up and the parasympathetic nervous system turned down. And that will cause your body to not make enough stomach acid for that meal. So it results in multiple issues, including problems with digestion and increasing your risk for SIBO. So what do you need to do for every single time you're going to eat something? You need to sit down. You need to take three deep breaths to calm down your nervous system, go from sympathetic to parasympathetic state. You need to, as much as possible, like not watch the news, not be in a work meeting that is causing you to think and, and you know, mentally stress yourself out. Ideally, you have like calm music or maybe you're watching like a funny show or something, like just something positive, right? And <clears throat> you are chewing your food very, very well because your stomach doesn't have teeth right? So you need to chew your food very well so that when it gets into the stomach, it's properly prepared for that stomach acid so that what drips down into the small intestine after that is the kind of, um, you know, food breakdown that it can deal with, okay? So this is very, very important. So the second cause, so that was the mental or physical stress while eating, and I would say it's probably one of the top ones. The second one is nutrient deficiencies. So 
Um, and that's coupled with um, the idea of a eating enough nourishing food. So a lot of us are trying to regulate our weight by eating less, eating less calories. But what that can do is that can cause us to actually not eat enough uh, whole foods that have the building blocks to do things like make healthy stomach acid. So what do you need to make healthy stomach acid? You need zinc, you need B vitamins, you need iodine, and you need enough water. And if you're eating, for example, ultra processed foods instead of whole foods in an attempt to lose weight or calorie count, now you're depleting your body of the nutrients it needs to make healthy stomach acid. And on top of that, you're adding in a third root cause, which is the food additives and the ultra processed foods actually can go in and cause damage to the gut microbiome, causing some organisms to flourish and others to not. So you really need to focus on a whole foods diet. I will get into the nitty gritty of what that looks like. because That is very, very important. Okay. So nutrient deficiencies, dehydration, you need to be drinking two and a half to three and a half liters of water a day, depending on your size. Okay. And um, excess sugar will feed the gut microbiome, particularly candida. So you need to make sure you're not having excess sugar so you don't get the fungal overgrowth in your small intestine. And then uh, the other root cause is people not um, giving their gut enough of a fasting time over 24-hour cycle. So over 24 hours, the body needs at least 12 hours of not eating, of not having to digest food so that it can do a full contraction from the mouth all the way down to the rectum. Okay. And they're called giant migrating complexes. So they're contractions, big contractions that happen all through what the night. So that's typically when we fast. Okay. And we need about 12 hours of that um, in order to move all of the food through and keep the gut microbiome from um, staying too long in one place. Like the, we're, we're always like moving our food and moving our gut microbiome through our body. When we poop, a lot of the poop is actually the gut microbiome is in there, okay? And so what that looks like is, for example, if you finish eating at 8 o'clock at night, you should not eat until 8 a.m. the next morning. That's a 12-hour fast. And you need at least a 12-hour fast in the 24-hour cycle in order to give your, your, your gut that contraction, you know, to move everything through, okay? Okay. The other root cause are certain medications. So if you have a history of heartburn where that healthy stomach acid is now refluxing up into the esophagus, um, and there's root causes for that, but you're instead of addressing the root causes for that, you're taking a proton pump inhibitor or some kind of stomach acid suppression medication, that will lower your stomach acid too much, and you will subsequently develop SIBO or SIFO. That has been shown in the research to happen, Okay. So if that's you, you want to go into my gut health playlist on YouTube and look up the how to reverse your heartburn naturally video because you want to get off of those medications as soon as you can because that is a very, very high risk factor for SIBO or SIFO. And the last risk factor are certain medical conditions. So if your health has been compromised to the point where you have diabetes or you have diverticulitis, um, or let's say you've had abdominal surgery in the past, and now you have blockages like scarring that prevents the food from moving through properly, those will put you at an increased risk for SIBO or SIFO. So those are things that really need to be considered in certain people. But I would say the big root causes are how we eat, right? When we eat, what we eat, right? So the ultra processed foods and the sugar, 
um, not eating whole foods, not drinking enough water, not fasting for at least 12 hours in the 24-hour cycle, and then the medications that really lower our gut, um, our stomach acid production. So think about whether or not you have any of these potential root causes, and then we're going to say, you might be asking yourself, well, okay, how do I know I have SIBO? You know, how do I know that this is what's causing my problems with bloating or constipation or IBS? Um, and for me, like there was a time when I thought I was eating a healthy diet and I realized that I was still eating a lot of ultra processed foods that were greenwashed or like health washed, so to speak. So, you know, like protein bars or protein powders or, um, you know, low fat snacks or whatever, pretzels and all of these things like they're not whole foods. They are ultra processed foods. And so it's really getting super honest and, and really dialing in on your diet. It's very, very important. Okay. But let's say you're wondering, do I have SIBO? How can I test for it? And a, um, so a doctor who's trained in this kind of medicine, which would be either a functional medicine doctor or a naturopathic doctor or a Western medicine gastroenterologist who has done a lot of additional training in the gut microbiome and specifically these kinds of conditions, which I would say is rare if they have not also done functional medicine training, these doctors, this is what they're doing. So there's three different approaches. One approach is you look at the blood work and people with SIBO, especially if they've had it over time, are more likely to have problems with low iron, low fat, um, uh, fat absorbable uh, vitamins like vitamins A, D, E, and K, and they'll have low protein, which shows up as low albumin. Now, if you're early in the stages of SIBO, you're not going to see this on the blood work. And if you have this on your blood work, it doesn't mean you have SIBO. It just starts to raise your suspicion for that condition, if that makes sense. It's like your spidey senses are tingling. But um, the most, what we call the gold standard, the very, like the way that they're testing and research in order to do these, this research to tell us that SIBO exists and what works to treat it is what's called the bacterial culture which is not a stool culture. So you know the kind where you poop and they take the poop and they analyze that? That is not going to tell you if you, have, if you have SIBO or SIFO. That only tells you what's happening in the large intestine because by the time that poop has gone from the small intestine into the large intestine, it's been exposed to the gut microbiome there and heavily influenced by that. So a, a stool test does not tell you if you have SIBO or SIFO. This is very important to understand. The bacterial culture that you have to have for, for diagnosing SIBO is they pass a catheter like into your esophagus, down into your stomach, and then pass the stomach into the small intestine. And then they suck up the fluid from there. And then they analyze that fluid. It's called the aspirate. They aspirate the fluid. Uh, and then they analyze that fluid and that gives them an idea, you know, is there too much growing there? What's growing there? But that test is very, is considered to be very invasive, right? It has a high risk of complications passing this catheter from the nose down into the small intestine. So this is not a test that is done in clinical practice. Like a doctor just cannot order this test. Centers do not do this test for doctors. This is a test that's done for research alone. Okay. I have yet to find a center that will do this for clinical practice doctors. So then what we're left with, 
um, the next best study that exists, which is not 100% accurate, so this is very important to understand, is what's called the breath test. And what they do is, let's say you're being tested for SIBO with a breath test, they give you a small amount of uh, a simple sugar to um, drink, so that like a lactulose or glucose, sucrose or xylose. And then they, the assumption is that if you have SIBO or SIFO, those simple sugars are going to be eaten up by those organisms. And I think it's a couple hours later, you breathe it out, you, you do a breath test, you breathe out and they collect the breath sample and they analyze that for um, production of gases like sulfane or sulfur or methane gases. And if you have a high production of those gases, then it's like, okay, you have SIBO. You have a, a higher likelihood of having SIBO or SIFO. It doesn't tell you if it's bacterial, if it's fungal, okay? It just tells you that there's an increased production of gases, which is pointing the finger at that you may have SIBO or SIFO. This test is not 100% accurate. There is what's called a false negative. So you could have all the signs of SIBO and you could even have SIBO and this test could be negative. One of the reasons for that is it could be that the sugar that was used, like let's say lactulose or sucrose, is not the preferred food for this organism growing in your small intestine. And so you're going to get a negative test, right? So then what is it that I, um, you know, what, what do I counsel people? I counsel them to say, listen, if you've got every single sign of SIBO, like bloating or constipation or diarrhea, or if you have IBS, um, and you're living a modern lifestyle, a modern Western lifestyle, um, you know, which are the root causes of it. Why don't we pretend as if you have it and do all of the things to treat it, right? And the thing is that all of the things to treat it are basically living a healthy lifestyle very intentionally with very specific um, components to it. So let's go through what that looks like, okay? So the goals of treatment for SIBO are threefold. Step number one, is you have to correct the underlying root cause. Step number two is you provide nutritional support if necessary, if the person has gotten to the point where they're depleted in nutrients. And step number three is to treat the overgrowth. And the mistake that I see happening all the time, all the time, is that even a trained practitioner like a functional medicine or naturopathic doctor, they'll go straight to step three. They'll give the person the antibiotic or the antimicrobial, the probiotic, we'll go through what those look like, but they don't help the individual understand, identify, and address the root causes. And so the treatment might help for a short period of time, but then the SIBO symptoms come back and everyone's perplexed, but you shouldn't be perplexed. You should be like, aha, I have not identified and reversed the root causes. Okay. So let's let's just very quickly review and and add on to how to correct the underlying causes. So number 1, you have to lower physical or mental stress with eating. So what does that mean? How how to eat for less stress? Let's review that again. You sit down to eat, you're not walking, you're not driving, you're not in a meeting, you're not watching the news, right? You're taking three deep breaths to calm your system and move it from the sympathetic to the parasympathetic rest and digest state, and you're chewing and chewing and chewing until the food is like a soup in your mouth, and then you're swallowing. You're doing that for every meal. 
every meal. You know the Mediterranean diet, how it's so healthy? Well, one of the components of the healthy Mediterranean diet is that you do not see an Italian or a Greek person walking around or driving, eating their food. They are always sitting down, enjoying their meal with family or friends or on their own. They're not watching the news, right? That's part of that healthy eating. So it's not just what you eat, it's how you eat. Okay. Number two is correct a nutrient deficient diet. So what does a rich nutrient like diet that specifically helps support your gut health and your stomach acid production? All right. So what does that look like? That means that each plate, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and I really need to highlight the breakfast piece because this is the part that people really get stuck on. They usually get dinner pretty good. Lunch is okay. And breakfast is just not complete. Okay. So each plate has to have about half of the plate is vegetables and cooked is preferable for digestive health as you age. A little bit of fresh is fine, like a little salad, but not a massive heaping salad of raw vegetables. Over time, you can have a hard time digesting that. And you'll, you'll tune into that for yourself and you'll notice over time. The other quarter of the plate should be some kind of protein source. And the other quarter should be a healthy carbohydrate like beans or potatoes or rice or quinoa or a sourdough bread. So not an ultra processed food um, like a dinner roll or those breads that are last forever on the shelf and they don't go bad, you know, with their food additive rich. You want like if you're going to eat bread, it should be the kind that goes moldy within a few days because there's no food additives to keep it from spoiling, right? Those things are bad for the gut microbiome. We know that. You want to season your vegetables with extra virgin olive oil, some vinegar, and some sea salt. Those provide healthy fats and minerals for your body. And you want whole fruits, nuts, and iodine source. Remember I said that you need iodine to make a healthy stomach acid. So sources of iodine are like seaweed, like kelp, dulse, akami, uh, um, arami, wakami, and then um, fish, some Eggs have some, chicken has some, but generally speaking, you really want to focus on getting enough iodine in your diet because you need iodine to make stomach acid. Okay. Now, remember the number three, you need to hydrate enough. You need to drink that water two and a half to three and a half liters a day. Avoid ultra processed foods and excess sugar. That is the work of a lifetime for some of us. And you need to fast for at least 12 hours. Remember from like eight to eight or seven to six you know, seven to seven, like you, you have to kind of <clears throat> modulate those times and make sure that you are giving yourself at least 12 hours of no eating over 24 hours. And usually that's overnight, right? Okay. So you've done all those things. Then you check in, are you on medications for heartburn? Let's reverse your heartburn naturally. So you can get off of these medications. Again, go to my playlist, gut health on YouTube and check out that video. It's very, very helpful. Um, if you have certain medical conditions, like um, you know, fistulas or um, scarring, and it's really impacting your gut health, it might be worth to have surgery to correct those, for example. That's very rare, but a potential root cause for some people. Step number two is to provide the nutritional support. So, um, you know, if you've been having this for a while, you might need some B vitamin supplements, um, you might need some fat soluble vitamins like the A, D, E, and K. And you might need some zinc and magnesium because those are the common deficiencies seen with SIBO, um, according to that research paper that I referenced at the very beginning. And now when you've done all these things, you've set the system up for success, you treat 
the overgrowth. And can you do all three steps at the same time? Absolutely. But my point is, if you just do step number three, without step number one and number two, if necessary, you're not going to get the results that you want. Right? It's just not going to be possible. So what are the options? You have probiotics, which are organisms uh, like healthy fungi and healthy bacteria that you take as a supplement and they go in to the body, they go in and they kind of help regulate the, the population. So they're kind of like the police force that go in and they're like, okay, you're not supposed to be growing here. Like you're not supposed to be growing there. And they push it out and they push it down and they, and they basically take down that population from where it's not supposed to be to where it's supposed to be. Okay. Um, and there's research to show that it does work, which I'll get into. Then there's the herbal antimicrobials. So those are supplements like oregano oil, and they have been shown to also help basically cut down on the volume of um, bacteria and funguses in the gut. And then the third option is antibiotics. And there's been research done on all of these. And interestingly, two probiotics that have been shown to be similar in terms of effectiveness, so they work just as well for some people with SIBO, not everybody, are the Saccharomyces boulardii, which is a friendly yeast. The way it works is it pushes out candida, and then it stays there for a few days, and then it itself leaves, so it kind of pushes out the bad guys, and then it exits the building, so it's a really good um, probiotic to use. Usually, you need to use these for at least three months with the step one and step two, okay? Not on its own, remember? And then the other bacteria that's been studied, probiotic, is the lactobacillus family. So there's like a, usually you buy the supplement with a, a number of lactobacillus, different ones. Um, and that's where, for example, we had the initial question about the Ruteri yogurt um, and so Ruteri is one of the kinds of probiotics that you can use, except when you buy the yogurt, it's in the yogurt versus in the pill. Um, I don't know if Dr. Davids has been specifically studied to work for conditions like SIBO. Um, and what you want to know is that if it's going to work for you, you're going to start noticing improvements by about two to three months. So if you're taking a treatment and it hasn't worked in about three months, you just have not been seeing any effects then you need to know that that's not the right treatment plan for you. You probably at this point in time, if you haven't already, um, you want to connect with a functional medicine doctor or a naturopathic doctor who can help you figure this out. Please, um, you know, be aware that if you go to your family doctor asking for assistance with this, you're probably going to not get the help that you need, not because they don't care, but because they're not trained in it. And some family doctors will be very honest and humble and say, you know what, I, I simply don't know about this, so I can't help you. Other family doctors, um, the ego will get involved and they'll say, oh, that doesn't exist. That's ridiculous. That's not even a thing. Um, you know, if you want to help educate them, you can give them the reference that I provided. Um, but it's also, you know, I just think that it's kind to go to the right people for for certain treatments, and it's unkind to go to the wrong people for certain treatments. So, for example, it's not kind to go to your accountant if you want help with marketing, right? So, same thing. You don't want to go to your family doctor for help with this. It's not part of the training unless they have done additional training in functional medicine, for example. Okay. So, I hope you found this helpful. SIBO is something that I myself had to deal with, 
And, um, you know, I did the work, I really had to get honest with my diet, I was not hydrating enough, and I had to really work on that. Um, and the big piece for me is still something I have to focus on is the sitting my butt down. <laughs> and really creating a very calm eating environment, not distracting myself by listening to a podcast or watching a show, just being very mindful, you know, putting on some nice relaxing music in the background, taking some deep breaths, looking at my food, being grateful for my food, and really savoring each bite, chewing it very well and eating slowly and mindfully. And for some people, this is like a very defining feature of what they need to do in terms of their SIBO protocol and their treatment. So I hope you found this helpful. If you enjoyed this, please save it, share, subscribe to the channel if you haven't already so you don't miss out on any Wild Wisdom episodes. Sharing is caring and more people need access to this life-changing information. And I look forward to seeing you on the next show. Bye, have a wonderful rest of your day, evening, or night, depending on when you catch this. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast, Wild Wisdom with Dr. Patricia Mills. If you like this podcast, please take the time to like and subscribe and please feel free to leave any comments and look below for the contact information if you want to connect with me directly. Thank you and I hope you have a wonderful day, evening or night. Hi everyone, I hope you enjoyed this episode. Just a reminder, this podcast is for educational purposes only. This podcast is not a substitute for a professional care doctor or other qualified medical professional. This podcast is provided with the understanding that it does not constitute medical or other professional advice or services. If you are looking for help in your journey, it is important that you seek out a qualified health practitioner. If you would like to work with Dr. Patricia for her expert health transformation guidance, please email her at info at drpatriciamills.com to book a discovery call. You can also find Dr. Patricia on Instagram at Dr. Patricia Mills and Facebook at Wild Wisdom for Women with Dr. Patricia Mills, MD. For access to all of Dr. Patricia's educational videos and more amazing perks, consider becoming a Patreon member. Links are in the description of this episode. It is important to have an expert in your corner that can help you make the changes you crave, especially when it comes to your health.